Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to Design You with Dr. Garrison Lakeham. I'm your host, Garrison. My guest today is a venture capitalist and private equity investor who founded Dirigo Advisors to provide strategic advice to investors, entrepreneurs, and fast-growing businesses. A graduate of Harvard Business School and Georgetown University, he has written for Business Insider, Huffington Post, Boston Magazine, and Forbes. His powerful book, The 10% Entrepreneur, Live Your Startup Dream Without Quitting Your Day Job, is the answer to the question, what if there was a way to combine the stability of a day job with the excitement of a startup, enabling you to become an entrepreneur without losing a steady paycheck? Here to personally answer that question is my guest, Patrick J. McGinnis. Welcome to Design You, Patrick. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. How have we arrived at the current point where having one job is no longer enough and you have to think like an entrepreneur? You know, it's something that it's kind of crept up on our society, I believe. And, and I'll say this as somebody who... Um, was never particularly entrepreneurial. I, I think we're all born as entrepreneurs as children. I mean, who doesn't have a lemonade stand or do a yard sale or a paper route? You know, it's something that lots of us do as kids, and then we get into our educational system, we go to college, or we start working, and then for most of us, we don't think like entrepreneurs. I mean, there are, of course, people who start businesses, and, 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 and for those folks, entrepreneurship is part of what they do. But for the rest of us, we get into stable jobs, and we do well in them, and everything's really great. And, and we never developed those skills or flex those muscles, which is a shame because what has happened is over the last 10 or 20 years, there have been two really big shifts that have taken place in the U.S. economy and the global economy. The first is the fact that a lot of the stable even prestigious industries that in the past were sort of sure things, whether that be medicine or, 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 or the legal profession or finance, you know, these things that you were, you were told to do if you want to be successful, those have become far less lucrative and stable than they were in the past. We, um, we have seen offshoring. We have seen the global financial crisis. We have seen uh, regulation. All of these things are chipping away at the attractiveness of working in those industries. And at the same time, we've seen technology and globalization, which has meant that a lot of um, a lot of instability has been introduced into our economy. And so that has really um, has changed things. And I think about when I was coming out of college, I graduated from Georgetown University in 1998. You were crazy not to want to go to Wall Street. Ten years later, in 2008, the whole industry blew up. And so that's what we're living with today. And that's really what inspired me to think about how you could do something different when you build your career. One of the things that struck me as I was reading the book is how we develop the mentality that's really st a strict either 
or I'm either going to be an entrepreneur or I'm going to have nothing to do with it. It seems like for all that I can recollect, there hasn't been a middle ground until your book came along. Yeah, you know, and it's been controversial. That's the one question, um, you know, every whenever I tell this idea to people, I talk about the book, you know, there's people raise their hand and they always say the same thing, which is, well, I've been told that to be a successful entrepreneur, it has to be all or nothing. You have to go 100% in. And if you're not willing to risk everything, then you won't be successful. And, you know, first of all, I think that's incorrect. In fact, most um, of the famous companies you've heard of were started on the side. People didn't just quit their job and decide, you know, and then come up with an idea. They worked in their idea on the side and figured out whether it made sense for going, but before going in full time. A lot of these stories about the garage are just that. They're stories that are used to glorify people after the fact. But second of all is that um, more recently, thanks to technology, thanks to all of the things we're carrying around with us in our pocket, you know, your smartphone, which is basically a portable office, it has never been easier to do things flexibly and on the side. And so as a result, due to technology, due to the, the, the lower price, the falling cost of innovating, due to the fact that lots of businesses are digital nowadays, there's really no excuse not to think about doing things part-time. And I think that's part of the reason. I think part of it is that in the past, um, it was really hard to do this. And the second is that there has always been this belief out there, this mythology that entrepreneurs are these suffering souls who have to bleed and eat ramen and basically you know, <laughs> live in a basement and work 24 hours a day to be successful. And while you certainly can do that, um, that's not fair because if that's the requirement, that means that the only people who can afford to be an entrepreneur are people who have nothing to lose because they're rich already or people whose families can give them money or people who are right out of school and are willing to live in a paper box on the side of the road. And the problem is that that is a really small group of people. And what about the rest of us? You know, and, and that's really what I wanted to do was find a way to give everybody else who dreamed about entrepreneurship a way to do it. 10% is a very specific number. What exactly is a 10% entrepreneur? And what are reasons for not becoming 100% entrepreneur? So the, the term 10% entrepreneur uh, came from my own experience. So I, I decided to do this and I thought to myself, well, you know, what's, what, what should I do? And so I decided, well, I'm going to put 20% of my time and money into side ventures. And then as I started doing that, I thought to myself, 10, 20% is actually kind of high. Let me start with 10%. And so the 10% entrepreneur is somebody who puts at least 10% of their time and if possible, 10% of their money into side ventures. And once I got doing that, um, you know, I always say at least because you can certainly go up from there to 30% or 50%. But as I thought about 10%, I felt like that was a good place to start for a couple of reasons. The first is that, um, you know, I'm, I think about it in terms of a tithe, uh, when you think of a tithe that people give to church uh, or their religion, um, it's something that is meant to be meaningful, but that you can do without changing your life. And so that's what I was thinking about 10% entrepreneurship. It's meaningful. You can make a difference in your life. You can change your life for the positive with that, but you don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to leave your house or you know radically alter your consumption in order to do this. That That's part number one. Part number two is once I got into the research of the book, I realized that the average person who's an angel investor, which is a type of 10% entrepreneur, somebody who is investing their capital in, in entrepreneurial ventures, the average angel investor in the United States puts about 10% of their net worth into entrepreneurial ventures. So the market sort of 
told me that I was just about right with that 10%. I was really surprised to see that. Um, in terms of why this makes sense, you know, the, the, the reality is that um, entrepreneurship is exciting and offers tremendous opportunities, but the chances that you're failing, that you're going to fail, are more than 50%. And so uh, for a lot of people, uh, it doesn't make sense to quit your job and throw everything into a venture when you could potentially fail and lose everything. And so what I tell people to do is start slow, start on the side, test the waters. You may never even go full-time. You may be a part-time entrepreneur forever. But if you like what you're doing and if things are going well, you can certainly increase that to 50% and maybe up to 100%. And people do that all the time. You know, There's many stories of people, I have one in the book, uh, about somebody who started a business on the side Things went well, so she then started working half and half with her employer. She's very open with her employer. Her employer supported her. And then five years in, she now has gone full time. Someone who wants to pursue their love or their passion 10% of the time or 10% of their money, it raises the bar in terms of assurance that you're going to be successful because I know personally, I can do a lot more taking the pressure off myself and saying it's only 10%. I like that. Yeah. And you know, what's so interesting is, you know, I've, so I've been traveling around the world talking to people about this. I've been very fortunate. It's come out in over 10 languages. And so I've seen lots of different people um, who are doing this or thinking about doing this or are afraid to do it or push back and it's always very interesting, and I learn a ton. But when people say to me, it just feels like too much or I'm afraid, I think to myself, you know, this is just 10%. This is dipping a toe in the water. Um, there's no reason to be afraid. Anybody can do this. And even if you fail, and you may very well fail. That's part of entrepreneurship. But even if you fail, it's really just an experiment, you know. And so there's really nothing to lose. And, and I think that has been um, – something that as people think about the idea, I, I see light bulbs going on in people's heads when they hear about this because <laughs> it gives everybody an on-ramp to think like and, and act like an entrepreneur. Please define the five types of entrepreneur and how does someone out there in the listening audience who has the desire to become an entrepreneur, how does he or she decide which role is best? So there are five types of 10% entrepreneurs, and I figured this out because I, when I was writing the book, I interviewed dozens of people all over the world on four continents and 10 countries, and of course, I went through my experience. And um, I've actually done now basically all five of them, but um, the five are, uh, first is the angel, and an angel is somebody who invests their capital in exchange for ownership in a company, like an angel investor. The second is called an advisor, and this is somebody who invests their time for ownership in a company. So they have a skill, whether it's uh, building a website or coming up with a marketing plan or, or even just picking up the phone and helping in the office. And a lot of times startups can't afford to pay you, so they will give you stock ownership in their company in exchange for that effort. The third is the founder. It's somebody who starts and operates a company on the side. They may go full-time someday, and they may stay part-time, but they are the founder of the company. The fourth is the aficionado. This is somebody who is a 10% entrepreneur, and they use that 10% entrepreneurship to explore a passion. So, for example, if you love to cook and you love to be a chef, but you know you just realize that you know it's a very hard thing to do for a living and it may not pay enough or be stable enough, you 
do a 10% entrepreneurship project that is in that industry. So maybe you're an investor or an advisor in a restaurant, and maybe they let you go in and cook on the weekend so you can do something you love at a professional level without having to quit your job to do so. And finally is the 110% entrepreneur. And this is somebody who's already a full-time entrepreneur and realizes that, hey, I'm doing something that's kind of risky. Why don't I diversify myself and gain exposure to other interesting startups by working on the side, doing angel investment or being an advisor or a founder of projects on the side? And so these are the five ways of doing this. If you want to figure out which one makes sense for you, I mean, they all map to different sort of scenarios. So, you know, in some you need money to do that. Them and some you don't, and some you need tons of time, and some you don't. So they're all a little different. On my website at patrickmcginnis.com, you can actually take a quiz uh, that will show you where you should start. And you will start with one, but as you gain experience and as you um, see more and more opportunity, you can expand to two, to three, to four, and all the way to number five. Given the title of the book, The 10% Entrepreneur, given your own recommendation for folks not to quit their day job, how can they make the most of the 10% knowing that they're already motivated because now you've taken some of the pressure off and built in some additional excitement and made it realistic. How do they maximize that 10%? Yes, so it's really important as you think about what you're going to do to also make a plan. And the book is, um, you know, there's a lot of books out there um, that give you a cool idea and then you never really figure out how to do it. There's no practical advice in there. What I tried to do, because I've read those books and thought to myself, like, this just could have been a magazine article, was I tried to make my book very actionable with lots of exercises and advice and how to just showing you how to make the plan in terms of making the most of your time there's a couple of things that you can do that are very impactful the first is to be ruthlessly brutal about how you prioritize your time so I went through and I and I have exercises in the book that, that show you how to do this and I really thought about how I was spending my time and I started reallocating a portion of that time to my 10% so I got rid of cable um, and I would instead of spending my day on Facebook, I would spend it on uh, thinking in terms of how I could work on 10% projects. So I, I just freed up time in my day to do that. Number two, and, and this is the one that I think is most important, is you really want to do things that leverage the skills that you have and the things that you enjoy doing. Because the skills that you have will make you successful and efficient in how you spend your time. And the things that you enjoy doing will actually convince you to set aside the time to do them. And it won't feel like work. And so, you know, I, for example, um, you know, I'm not very good at marketing. It's not something I, I've had to learn, I guess, with the book, but it's not like I'm some great marketing mind. And I know uh, very little about, uh, let's say, the restaurant industry. So if I had to go out and come up with a marketing plan for a restaurant, it would take me tons of time. On the other hand, I know a lot about finance and I know a lot about tech. So when I look, sit down and try to build a model or do a fundraising pitch for a, for a tech company, doesn't take me a lot of time because it's like it's like anything else. If you're good at something, you can do it much more quickly and efficiently than anybody else. Your book is is the key, the trigger, whatever you want to call it, for people who've been sitting on their passion and not living it to give them the bridge to realizing their dreams. If you were to bottle the 10% entrepreneur, what would be your particular Patrick J. McGinnis? secret sauce 
for playing to your strengths. When I wrote this book, um, what I didn't want to hear back from people, what I didn't want people to say to me is, wow, this is a really great concept. Thank you for sharing it with us. Um, Patrick, um, you live in New York City and you went to Harvard. And so this is nice, but you're not the most relatable guy in the world. Which, by the way, I want everybody to know I'm from a small town of Maine. And I'm a pretty down to earth person, so you know, despite what the paper looks like, I can tell you I'm I'm very much a normal guy. But I understood that the optics on that would be a little weird, and so or just that some people might feel intimidated or something, and that's just not who I am. What I did uh, when I started doing this, and, and I'll, I'll confess to you, I didn't really know. I was a little bit unsure about what I could do well, and the reason that I came to this is because my company um, blew up in the financial crisis of 2008. So I was a little bit down on my heels, I was a little depressed, and I was looking for something to change my career and my life. And so I, but I didn't know. And so I, I, I it was kind of funny. Um, I sat down and I wrote an extensive bio of myself on the advice of a friend. And in doing so, I started to read it over and see the things that I was you know, good at it or had experience in. And for me, that was working with startups. For me, it was working on, you know, the, the financial aspects of startups, like building financial models and projections and figuring out how to raise a round of capital. And there were certain industries like consumer technology companies and, and others that I had experience with. And so as I sat down, I thought to myself, those are the areas where I should spend time because I really like doing those things. But I also, you know, I have real experience in doing those. When it comes to anybody else, what's so interesting is I traveled the world, as I mentioned, talking to people, and I met all these really smart people who can't tell you what they're good at. And part of it's probably humility, but part of it is that when you, for example, work in a company and you're seated around a bunch of people in your department who do the same thing as you every day, you might forget that what is normal in your office, if you were to take it across the street, is special. And so if you sit around making spreadsheets all day and you think to yourself, well, you know, what's the big deal about that? I can tell you, most people get the cold sweats when they have to deal with an Excel spreadsheet. And so thinking about what you're good at, what's special about you, and then what you like doing, and then sitting down and writing a bio, and then actually talking to people who know you well and saying, you know, what do you think I should be working on? The, all those things together will give you some ideas that you can tap into. And one thing that everybody should remember, too, and this is super important, uh, I, I met this fantastic guy um, named Ian, and he had gone to West Point um, and had served in the military and super impressive guy. So you think a guy like that, you know, he's got a million things that he could sort of lean on in terms of what he's good at. But his first 10%, the reason why he got that wasn't because he was some strategic, you know, sort of thinker or that he was fearless or a great leader. He got it because a company just needed help one day. They needed him to, to help them film some sort of commercial they were making, and he held the camera. And so sometimes um, your greatest skill for a startup at that moment or for some entrepreneurial venture is just being there and helping out and pitching in. It doesn't have to be that you're some marketing genius, some finance whiz. And so that's something that I think as I've learned and gone along and seen that companies and founders need help and you can plug in and be that help to them. In the book, you stress the importance of, and I quote, choosing a radically different mindset from that of being an employee and having a clear methodology known as an investment process that venture capitalists use to make the right decisions. Please share with listeners those five steps. I was very uh, focused on making sure that anybody who wanted to do this 
have the, the, the steps to make an intelligent decision. What I didn't want people to do, what I, what I wasn't comfortable with and I didn't want to have to like wake up in the morning having nightmares, is people doing things where they could lose their shirt or making um, investments based on you know, seeing something on TV. Like if, if you read my book and then decided to go out and buy a bunch of Bitcoin, um, you didn't read my book carefully unless you're some <laughs> expert in Bitcoin, right? And then maybe you would have made money. And there's, I'm not saying that Bitcoin is terrible, but the point of my book is you don't do things that you don't understand. And so really um, it worked out to a process. And the process is, is, is it's a number of steps. And the first is really thinking about your resources. So what do you have available in terms of time, um, money, and skills, you know, we just talked about playing to your strengths. What, are, what does that look like? And that will help you think about the kinds of things you should be doing. The next is having um, a clear uh, process in terms of deciding whether or not um, something makes sense for you. So say you find a great opportunity. Maybe you come up with an idea for a new business, or maybe you decide you want to invest in somebody's business or be an advisor to their business. You need to figure out, does this even make sense? And so this, you know, gets to the point of thinking about do you understand the industry? Do you know the people who are involved? Um, what is your role going to be? Do you have time for this? Do you have expertise for this? Is this a good idea? Where is this industry going? You know, you're thinking through that, almost like you were buying a stock on the stock market. You don't just buy something because it, you know, it looks pretty and you like the ticker. You do your homework and make sure you understand why this is a sensible investment decision. And then finally, the last bit is really leveraging your network. So in order to find great opportunities and in order to um, have people help you in terms of figuring out if they make sense, because you're not going to have all the answers day one. You need to talk to people and, and figure out what's going on. And, and also in terms of adding value, because you, know, you get involved, but then you've got to actually, you want to be there helping to make sure that these things are more successful than they would be if you weren't there. You want to leverage your network. And so thinking about all the people you know now or the people that you could meet in the future and getting them involved is another big part of, of this process. So if you add all that up, that's the process. It's replicable, and you can do it over and over and over again. I've done more than 20, 10% at this point, and so I know it works. Is there a point that many 10 percenters reach where they're following the book to the T and now they reach this place where they're like, this is really working and now I'm really getting bored and frustrated with my, let's call it a day job, but I can't quit it. What do they do if they reach that juncture? That's a really great question and one that I actually never had before. What I have noticed is that most people, uh, when they get to that point, actually are very thankful for their day job and see their day job as the reason that they're able to do their 10%. So it's sort of like, listen, is this my dream day job? No. However, it makes it so worth it because I'm able to do my 10% on the side. Now, you may get to a point where you, where you say, okay, listen, the 10% is doing really well. It's growing. I'd love to go full-time. I can't yet. I can't afford to yet. Maybe that doesn't make enough money or I'm just not quite sure yet. But I need uh, more time than I can give it right now. Like, you know, it's taking more. I'd love to be able to dedicate more. How do I how do I do this? How do I keep going? And it's that point that, you know, I think that could be the area where you have a little bit of tension. Um, and, and, and that's when you've got to decide, okay, if you just simply cannot give it more, either you're going to have to grow more slowly or it's time to go out and find a partner. 
and that's what a lot of people do. There was a story in the book that I really love. It's about a guy named Luke Holden. He started a company called Luke's Lobster, which is a lobster roll chain, which is in many cities at this point on the East Coast, West Coast, and, and even in Japan. And he had this idea, and he was working 60 to 80-hour weeks, though, on Wall Street. So he recruited a co-founder who could be there when he couldn't, and that really made it much more sustainable for him. So maybe that's the answer for you. And you know, he found somebody on Craigslist, believe it or not, but a lot of times people will find friends or, or former colleagues who may be uh, full-time employed or unemployed or even partially employed and get them involved. So there's lots of ways to bring other people into your mission and help you to build your business. Was there anything in the writing of the book that you were shocked by personally? Yeah. it's First of all, it was – super rewarding to work on this project. I'd never, it was my first book. Uh, I'd never really expected this to happen. It sort of just happened to me. Um, and so it was a tremendous learning experience. It's kind of like one of my 10% in a sense. Uh, and, and it was just a great time. What has been interesting has been that this book has gone very global. So it's in many languages, Chinese, Japanese, Spanish, Thai, Korean, um, it's, it's also done very well in the UK. Um, and what I have noticed about this is that, number one, um, we live in a time where people everywhere in the world are thinking like entrepreneurs and want to be entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurship is very, is very sort of of the moment. And, and it, there's really no barriers anymore, right? Uh, people all over the world have access to the same technology. So that's, that's been really exciting. Second is that I've I've noticed that there's some really interesting cultural uh, features around this. So I had um, a reader in Uganda when I did an event there who stood up and said, "This is a really cool idea. This is and and also we do this already. This is something that our culture has done for years and years and years because we never really had stable." jobs, right? So we always had to be working on things on the side. And so this is something that really we understand and we get it and we can do. And so that's been cool to, to realize that in some of the places in the world where you may not expect it or countries that have a little more instability in their economies, people have to by nature be more entrepreneurial in order to just sort of live. And, and that means that when it comes time to think like a 10% entrepreneur, they're already kind of on second base. Where can listeners purchase the 10% entrepreneur? It's available at most, um, at most booksellers, but it's most definitely at Barnes & Noble and Amazon. There are some great resources available on your website and in your blog. Please uh, share a sample of what those are. And also, if you could tell listeners where they can follow you on social media. Sure. My website is, I've really tried to make it a living uh, resource for people. So if you go to my website, patrickmcginnis.com, P-A-T-R-I-C-K-M-C-G-I-N-N-I-S.com, you can find articles about each one of these 10% opportunities. You can find a quiz telling you what kind of 10% entrepreneur you should be. There is a blog with all kinds of great examples of people who are doing this in all kinds of fields. Everything from a kindergarten teacher who started a basketball school to a lawyer who started a fashion company. Got a little bit of everything. Um, also, people, I have a wonderful story about a friend of mine who's a lawyer who started a nonprofit to raise money for his daughter's illness, which is actually without a cure, but he was able to restart an important research project. So really amazing stories. Um, I also have, if you go to patrickmcginnis.com slash build your 10, I have a free workbook with some of the um, 
exercises in the book. So, for example, if you buy it on Kindle or, or you listen to it on Audible, then you can get the uh, you can get these 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 resources for you in a in a printable format in a PDF. Um, you can also go. You can find me on Twitter at PJ McGinnis. You can find uh, me on Facebook at Ten Entrepreneur, and you can go to my Facebook group, uh, Ten Entrepreneur Club. And let's see what else. I'm on YouTube. You can just search for Patrick McGinnis and Instagram Patrick J McGinnis. So, believe me, if you are interested in this <laughs> and you want to join my community, I would love to have you. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. If, if you will not have a problem finding me. <laughs> so just go to my website. There are links to everything there. And um, and, and get involved and, and reach out to me. I love hearing from readers. If you email letsconnect at patrickmcginnis.com, um, I will see your email, and I would love to answer any questions you have. We've been talking with Patrick J. McGinnis, author of the very powerful book, The 10% Entrepreneur, Live Your Startup Dream Without Quitting Your Day Job. Patrick, Thank you so much for being a very special guest on Design You. Thank you so much, Garrison. It's been a pleasure. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.